Content note. If you are a new listener and not familiar with our approach, we often explore difficult topics through the lens of our own evolving perspectives and experiences. Topics in this episode include heavy philosophical themes, mental illness, addiction, law enforcement, various ideologies, faith and religion, exploring essential human qualities and relationships, and discussion of literary tropes and mechanisms. Hey, hey folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. This is, I think, the second year in a row we've done one of these end-of-year book chat deals. This has been basically our season seven, which has been these mid-year, end-of-year kind of book chats. And as we've been also recording the upcoming season, which we hope you will tune in for as of January. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, let's let's start off with the big reveal. We, we have recorded every episode of Cat's Cradle. I just need to finish editing the final one. And our plan for it is we're going to upload this wonderful end of year book chat. And then starting in 2024, we're going to start uploading the Cat's Cradle podcast week by week. And we hope you will enjoy that. It's been a year and a half. You will, as you listen to the episodes, you will find out why it has taken so long. <laughs> it, it has been quite a journey. Uh, and, yes, uh, yes. But, but uh, I, I, you know, not giving too much away, an enjoyable one, right, Rue? You, you did, so, yeah. you liked Cat's Cradle quite a lot. I cannot confirm or deny this until you actually get a chance to listen to the podcast. Um, we shall not give that spoiler away. Uh, oh, come the, on. The, <laughs> you can say whether I or not you like the book. I shall not reveal my uh, Fine. preferences. Fine. It's, I think it's a case of like you, you, it was a very engaging kind of book and, and you'll, you'll hear us go off on all sorts of tangents as we, as we are prone to do. It yeah, was just yeah. one of those, it's one of those books that did stimulate a lot of tangenty. Yes. It, it, it was one of those books where we got back to, I guess, an old habit of talking for like half an hour before we even read the first chapter in some episodes. Well, there, there was, there was many reasons as to why, but yes, it, 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 it just became a, a thing. So it became a bit of a, bit of a more challenging uh, season. But we're hoping that you'll enjoy it. And if you enjoy Stream of Consciousness, you'll definitely enjoy the podcast. Well, that's, that's what these are. So if you've yes, listened to these before, you know, uh, especially last year's uh, Christmassy one, we talked about like all the books we wanted to talk about at the end of 2022. And it's been a year now again. So uh, we were going to talk about a lot of the books we've been reading in 2023, hopefully not stepping on the toes of the books we talked about in our mid-year book chat catch-up. But yeah. uh, we, we usually have a pretty good memory where once we start to get into something, we're like, oh, wait, I think we talked about that before. So, so we should be talking about new stuff. I think we should start off with last year, you did shock our readers, Rue, when you mentioned how many books you read in 2022. I'd like to ask you, kind of already knowing the answer, um, what was the number of your uh, 2023 reads? So 2022, I had an aim of reading 200 titles. And this is just 
the Kindle book, so I'm not counting physical rereads or books I've read on other platforms or other sources. So we're just gonna we're just gonna say I aimed last year for 200 books. I read on Kindle uh, 224. This year I thought, you know what, if I'm gonna hit 224 and not really actually be aiming for it, I wasn't consciously aiming to read the most books I possibly could. It was just what I was reading. Right. I aimed for 250 titles this year. Mm. It is December. Uh, there's another few weeks to go. Mm. I have to. Uh, for me to hit my Kindle target, I need to read another 24 books, and I suspect I probably. Could. And the thing is also these books. When there's a bundle of books, so like you know, there's a collection of 12 books in an in an omnibus or whatever. Mm. That counts as one book. Oh. On Kindle, which is a flaw. So, so technically, you might be at your goal. Oh, I've, I've, I exceeded it because a, lo- a lot of the books that I will read, I don't like, I get frustrated when there's, you know, a book yet to come out. So sometimes the books that I will read will deliberately be the ones that have the collection of all the books in one suite. Right. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. You, uh, Rue has some of the stuff she's read that she thinks I might like she's recommended to, to me over the years, but she often will link me to said omnibus. And I'm a bit of a stickler because I don't know if I'm going to like it. So what I tend, tend to end up doing every time she recommends one of these, I stubbornly look for just the first book. And if it's not on Amazon, I find it through alternate means. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes. and that, um, I haven't checked out. Uh, let me just go to my list here. You've recommended two books to me I haven't looked into yet. One of them is called The House Witch. And the other is yes. called uh, Sapiens, which I think he, you brought up during the Cat's Cradle episode. Yeah, Sapiens, Sapiens came up because my brother once recommended it. And, and look, I find it interesting. I think it's there's no such, for me, nonfiction books, because that mm. is essentially a nonfiction book. All nonfiction and even fiction books, there's, there's always going to be flaws, there's going to be issues. But there, were, there will be sufficient, I think for me, the, the nuggets to, the golden nuggets to... Eh, ratio. That's that's going to be an official term. The, the the golden nuggets to eh ratio. When it's proportionately great, more golden nuggets than eh, <laughs> then I will. I, I I like. I generally will go. Yeah, no. There's there's some value in here. There's some insights that you might be able to get. You don't have. To, I think for me, it's I will not necessarily always agree with a hundred percent with what the author is writing, especially mm. with nonfiction. And I will are like I'll question things or I'll go. Ah, oh, yeah, sorta. And also remember that the author is always writing from the perspective that, from their experience, from their perspective, from what information they had available to them at that given time, from the ideologies that have influenced them, from the environment that's influenced them, from what the editors will and will not let them mm-hmm. get away with. And so this is, I'm always very conscious that we need to be, like, for me, I need to be like that. Otherwise, I will read something and I could if I really wanted to, I could judge everything really harshly, but I don't actually see a value in that mm. because I can, if I can read it and I can go, okay, I can, I can read this. This is flowing well. I can connect with some of what's being said. Oh, I can see the insights here, or I can see where they're coming from. I might not agree with it, but I can see where they're coming from. Like we said before, empathy machines also means looking at things that where you may not, like if something is abhorrently against every single part of what mm-hmm. you value as a person, then heck no. Like there's certain books that I am not going out of my way to expose myself to. Yeah, yeah. Without mentioning names, but there are some books that I, no. I can think of at least one. <laughs> there's one German one that I have no interest. That, in that was that, that was the one. Um, but yes. but, but you know, uh, 
Rue, you've, you've brought up two really good points there that I'd like to expand on. One of them is, I think if you are ever in conversation with a book, uh, I think it's one of the Cat's Cradle episodes. I talked about how I will literally kind of out loud talk back to the book when I find an interesting idea or if I, I take umbrage with something they've said, I kind of will vocalize what I'm thinking. And I think that always uh, deepens uh, the experience had with okay. a book uh, when you when you kind of, you know, they, they, they books are kind of discussions because you're reading the words of, of someone else at, from a very fixed point in time. And that person may no longer be on this planet. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's this idea that at least at this point in time, this part of the world, based on this topic, this person is telling you their point of view. And yet you can find stuff that you very much disagree with. I, I find that, or maybe stuff you don't even understand. Both of those things mm. happen when I read philosophy. <laughs> oh, um, it happens all the time. Like yeah, yeah. It, it, there's plenty of things out there that we don't understand. I think mm. that even that acknowledging of, oh, this is actually something I have never really put much thought into or I'm not sufficiently experienced in to understand properly. Let me go and dig a little bit into this. But yeah. maybe that's just a, that might just be a that might be an ADHD hyperfixation thing. Uh, but I don't know. I, I need to look things up. Like I always mm. need to try and understand things. Oh, um, um, you know, one of the things I love the Kindle for is because especially when reading older works of literature, you know, mm. there will be plenty of words that are no longer in common use. And I can just press my button on, well, either press the button or push my finger on the word on the Kindle because I have a touchscreen version and the dictionary will pop up and go, this word means this thing. And it's just so beautiful. I mean, if I'm like reading an article on Google, you know, I can highlight it and right click and do the same thing. But mm -hmm. I, I find it just such a delight because when I'm reading a, a book book, I will often have to get my phone and then it's it's a bunch of extra yeah. steps to look up the word. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also some sometimes uh, I know that I, I've had a unique, well, not that unique an experience, but the one of the things that I can always value is that I've had some exposure to a, an approach to language and literature and, and things which has involved, say, as a group, going through something that where the text might be quite advanced and quite difficult in terms of the vocabulary or the expressions used or even the concepts being approached, but that we try and based on the context of the sentence and what is what else is like the topic of the subject or what the topic that's being addressed, try and infer what the meaning of the word is. So we try and do that as a group first. Yeah. And then if we and then if we're still not entirely certain, we feel like we, we, we're not confident or whatever, that, that we then turn to, then we turn to a dictionary. So the, the, the dictionary almost became like a, yeah, but let's actually see how, how this, this word endows the sentence, I guess, with meaning. And if there's the meaning that it makes sense to see it this way, given the context in which the sentence is being placed, then we're not letting, I guess, an external definition restrict the meaning of the sentence but we're letting the meaning of the sentence kind of come to the the it blossom in a, in a, in a natural kind of collaborative space it's it's, it's a weird thing to ex describe no I, um, I i know i know what you mean because also to this day good authors will still make up words and sometimes making up a word is as simple as taking a noun or a verb that doesn't have like a verb or an adverb to it and turning it into 
you know, an adjective, an adverb, a different form of grammar that it technically doesn't exist as. But because of context and because of the word and the way they've chosen to add like a suffix to the word, you can go, oh, I understand. You know, I've done that in my writing. Yeah. Well, it, it, it brings us actually, funnily enough, before the podcast, one of the conversations we were having, which we're not going to go into too much depth about because it was, it was a big topic. But one, one, a word or an expression that's used by a friend of mine, um, Jade Barkley, and it's inspiruptions. And that's because <laughs> if, okay, so just calling it inspiruptions, anyone who is neurospicy neuro in any way is going to know exactly what we're talking, <laughs> what I'm saying. Because yeah, it's, it's just this, this, this over like, I mean, Dave and I do it all the time on the podcast. Mm -hmm. you, you hear all the time that like you hear a thing and then you set each other off and then you come and say, Hey, 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 hold off, hold on for a moment. When you said this, that, and then it, yeah. it's a little bit, it's a dynamic kind of oh. uh, conversation. To, to, to get, to give yeah. a good example of it right now, as I interrupt Rue, when I talked about bouncing off the ideas she had, and I believe the first one was about, about the author. You know, I can't remember, but I had two ideas and I launched into the first one and that led to where we are right now. The second idea has been kind of processing them back in my head all this time so I don't forget it when we eventually end <laughs> this conversation and I can talk about that. And I did lose it for about a couple minutes and it's back now. But, but that's, that, that's the difficult part, uh, at least, you know, with, with an ADHD brain or at least my ADHD brain is that's why I interrupt, because I have no confidence that this, what I feel is a great idea in addition to the conversation, I have no confidence that it's going to be there in three minutes, two minutes, one minute time when Rue finishes yeah. what she wants to say. Although on, the side, on, a, on a side note, we did, I did actually have a moment the, the other day. I, it was something I, was, I wanted to ask like a sibling or like one of my, my sisters-in-law or, or a sibling. And I was like in the middle of remembering what it was that I wanted to ask them, and then it just went off into the, <laughs> yeah. into the into the universe, off into the ether. It was gone, and I was like, you know what? I had I did want to ask you something, but I and I said I've got a question. By the way, I said nope, it's gone. Okay, you know what? If it's important, it'll come back. Yeah. It will come back if it's important. So sometimes it sometimes we we hold on, and then sometimes we're like, you know what? It's okay. We detach. <laughs> it's okay. Well, well, it's but, yeah, all you, it's all you can do because you know this is a little bit of a Buddhist thought. But why go through all the extra suffering of oh, why can't I remember what that was when you know that's not going to help you remember it? No, it's not. If it if it comes back, it comes back. That's the way I say. But so you had a second point to oh, raise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you you talked about you know not always getting good ideas from the nonfiction you read. Um, I forget where I found the, uh, read this from. But it was the idea, mostly with nonfiction books, but I think it applies to fiction as well. But it's the idea that if you read a book and you can take away one interesting idea from it, then it's yes. been a worthwhile process. Yes. And I think that's, that's the point. It's like if it stimulated some sort of thought or it has, and it hasn't necessarily served to, I mean, if it has served to assure you that maybe your, a particular value that you hold on to is actually worth holding on to. Or a particular perce perception that you have is is probably supported, or or like, oh yeah, is given more weight or more to you. That's awesome. If it's something that only reinforces, like, as long as I guess, as long as you are open to something, reading something, and it having a, the opposite effect, where it actually makes you challenge your like how well you adhere to your values, or how whether that is actually a value worth adhering to. 
like so it, if that makes sense so like you ha- if you don't have that willingness to read things that can both support or challenge to so strengthen or challenge your your view of on reality then mm-hmm. it's it's safer i guess not to read like it's safer <laughs> to avoid everything like the, honestly that's what it is like oh. sometimes it, or um and, and the thing is you'll be surprised like even in even i should say a lot of the nonfiction things I've read, and I've, I've mentioned this before, at least one of the authors I know is definitely um, writing in a way where she's she's processing either processing trauma or has assisted others in processing trauma because of the language that she's she, she's addressing and the way her characters are, with a focus on redemption and evolution and acknowledging yourself uh, and and your growth and and that gro- how growth is difficult. So even that fiction quote-unquote fluff novel that you are reading, if you see a line in there that makes you kind of go, oh, yeah, no, that's when, when I'm, when I'm, because I'm in pain doesn't necessarily, like, you, you, there's something, there's some sort mm-hmm. of lesson that you can learn there or some sort of thought you can have that challenges how you view yourself or view your interaction with others. And, you know, it doesn't yeah. even have to be that strong, as it were. You know, constantly no. when I reread Discworld books, There'll be a sentence that might even be a pun and just like that either that sentence is so well written or, oh, that's such a good joke. You know, it's just an appreciation in the moment of of skill, of the craft of writing, you know, and that's because I write as well. But I was a reader before I was a writer. So I think I've always had this appreciation. Yeah. Uh, But yes. So. So, yes, there was this so far. I've definitely exceeded my goal. It's a bit, oh yeah, a back, back back to the back goal. to the back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah, so do, but what what freaked me out today was I just I hadn't been paying attention clearly. It's like you beat your longest streak. So the I've read 171 weeks in a row. Wow. Yeah. So I do tend to read at least, and and I use it I use it to reset. I use it also to prep. If I'm going to be doing something that's going to be a little bit more not stressful per se but that i it, it's hard to, where i have a bit of inertia when it comes to starting mm. sometimes i have to just get my my mind in a space where it's like calm it's content right. it's happy i use other techniques as well but one of the thing tools that i will use is i might read a novel mm. or i might read a little bit out of a novel and that will just kind of get me like right see the, the, these characters are having challenges and and they're standing up and they're developed because the arc of a story generally is you know Qualities of the uh, the character's challenge, crisis, whatever, resolving it, and, and the different dynamics that exist between characters or the situation, and mm. so it it helps kind of go okay. Now, when you're going to do go off into the world that you are navigating, your real world, you have also these kind of things, these dynamics and these challenges and stuff, and you're just going to have to, you know. At least you're not in a I guess post-apocalyptic landscape where the <laughs> Fae have decided to take over the city whatever <laughs> but, you, but you you're able to focus on even if you've got unpleasant s- scenarios or things that are difficult to do you you can build up and you can work on it you can do this mm. so it's a little it's a little bit of that and it's also a good little reset mental reset i guess but yeah so i was just looking at that and um trying to find out which books were read when well i i have my list here would you like me to kick off with something yes please please do okay um <laughs> I want to preface my discussion of this book because I think there are some interesting things that I want to talk about. But I want to start off with saying I don't recommend this book. To our listeners, 
and especially to you, Rue. It's called the Illuminatus Trilogy. Uh, I read book one. I'm in the middle of book two. Uh, it's by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson. Uh, it is, I don't know if it's the first, but it's definitely one of the progenitors of like the conspiracy fiction genre, you know, like the whole Dan Brown, Robert Langdon, that kind of story. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's called the Illuminatus Trilogy. It's about uh, this group fighting the Illuminati and and kind of a lot of the more uh, out there conspiracy theories are present in the book. Uh, one of the characters is the person who assassinated JFK. But here's why I said I do not recommend it. Mm-hmm. There are, f- okay, there are a few reasons. I'll, I'll start with actually one of the least innocuous. So you remember, Rue, how much trouble you had following Catch-22 because it would jump around from chapter to chapter? Yep. This trilogy does that from line to line and paragraph to paragraph. Now, it may be my version of the book, the EPUB I got, maybe is not properly um, marked, you know? Mm-hmm. But but basically, it's always like every new line I'm having to grasp on to where are we, which character, that kind of thing. It jumps around all the time. The funny thing is, by the end of the first book, you find out that there is a narrative reason for that. Uh, its structure is actually thematically appropriate to to the kind of some of the deeper themes of the book. Mm. Now, the other reason why I'm not recommending to it, because this book is completely obscene. It is full of racial slurs. It is full of the foulest language, uh, oh. overt descriptions of sexual acts. The thing is, I think it is also there for a narrative purpose. The idea of to fight the Illuminati, you have to kind of be shocked out of the programming you've been in from a very young age. And I think thematically, all this language and these acts and the way it jumps around, I think it, it, it puts the reader into a kind of fugue state where it's kind of, I, I don't know, I'm being assaulted from all sides. I don't know. I have nothing to grab onto. You know, I think it's purposeful in that. Mm. Now, you may be asking with all this, why am I continuing to read this past the first book in, in the trilogy? And the reason is the ideas that are at play underneath this wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, no anchor to grab onto, and all the vulgarity are really interesting. (laughs) Like, like, like what, what reality is at the base level, kind of, you know, breaking the programming of what the Illuminati are trying to exert control over, and kind of like the ideas that play to why all these things have happened the way they have, and all the historical figures it brings into play as well. It's engaging for me. When I can actually And also kind of the puzzle where, you know, I'm late in the second book and suddenly I'm starting to make connections about things that just washed over me in the first book because there was no way to grab onto what was happening. It's almost like you have to just lay back and go on the water slide, that kind of thing. It's almost like you almost have to turn that critical part of your brain off because it's going to be overwhelmed. There there is nothing to grab onto here. Just try and go through uh, also, yeah, the characters indulge in heavy drug use for most of the book. And that's another thing to get them into states where they can access deeper parts of themselves and understand the, the fundamental truths of reality. So, so this also, this, this trilogy was written in 1975, and I think it reflects that time as well. Mm, gotcha. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. I'm definitely going to finish the trilogy. 
Um, I have I have no real interest in reading anything else these two writers have ever written. <laughs> but this was recommended offhand um, by uh, by a podcast I listened to. Uh, he just threw the name out there, and because of what he was talking about, I looked into it myself and like. What the hell? I want to try this. And it's one of those that doesn't have a Kindle version. So I had to get an EPUB, you know, mm. version of the book. And I think maybe that's why it's been harder for me to read. It's like when I got an EPUB version of Ulysses by James Joyce, it didn't have any chapter breaks in it, where apparently mm. that book is structured into distinct chapters. So you kind of know when it's going to switch gears because anyone who's attempted Ulysses or read Ulysses knows that. Um, actually, this book is obviously aping that kind of style. Um, and also, I see how like books like Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace are further exam further experimentations with this kind of style. And actually, that's another reason why I'm continuing to read it and why I wanted to just talk about it. Because mm. somewhere in the second book, it hit me. It was just a couple nights ago that, oh my God, you can actually do anything with the written word it's like it really started to open up that idea that you you can do this like i've not really read a book that i mean ulysses does it and catch 22 does it but not to you know not with this i think it's something to do with the level of vulgarity and also the level that it jumps around that really like i have not read a book that does this so so it opened that eye you know to use yeah. a metaphor from the book but like the third eye kind of thing but it opened that idea let's say in my head that go yeah crap you can you can do this books can do anything and then because of that realization uh it kind of also reignited that i need to start writing fiction again <laughs> yeah, of course as you do i was just thinking it's interesting that they're using like, like this again i'm using your description of it but this idea of this this almost fragmentation of the 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 a, a fragmented approach to get to dis get the the reader to have this this confusion distortion where, so that out of almost a, a a survival mechanism or an ability to get through it yeah. you need to switch off now mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so it's so there's something about that that's funny to me okay because, I mean, I'm not a huge... I don't really get into the conspiracy theories mm-hmm. too much. I'm, I'm familiar vaguely with some of them, and particularly a lot of the science ones I can usually piece apart quite a bit. Um, well, and, well let, let me just yeah. say that also this book scratches an itch because the Dan Brand books, especially the Robert Langdon novels, are guilty pleasures. I really yeah, enjoy yeah, them. Yeah. I, I recognize them as, you know, they're not high art, um, in fact, his writing style, you know, like the two-page chapters annoy me. But like the last one I read of his, I don't know if he's put out one since, maybe I should check, but the last one he did, Origin, I found really engaging. And I've always enjoyed his books. So I think that's another reason why I, I, I thought I'd give this a go. And, and, you know, you talked about having to let go. Well, you know, another, uh, another reaction to that is just to put the book down. You get a you know you get a few pages into it and go f this. I'm not going to try and deal yeah. with this. And you know, early on, I did like I tend to give on the Kindle. I tend to give books about ten percent to grabby or to let them go because mm. because I no longer want to force myself through a book that's not engaging with me. But I want to give it enough time to 
get there. And when I get a book from the library, I try to give it 10% as well. You know, like 50 to 100 pages is usually good enough when I'm not able to do the math for a percentage. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'd like it, the thing like the thing that I was going to with the book um, mm. with this whole idea is it's like, I mean, part of the the vaguely the whole concept of the Illuminati conspiracy theories mm. is, you know, essentially controlling the population. Yeah, yeah trying to get the population to basically conform and not think and just to function as a reservoir or a resource for mm-hmm. the benefit of a handful who, mm-hmm. who, who, who um, you know, take advantage of it or to use them as a resource. I, I, now, I mean, maybe you're going there, vaguely. but that's not really a conspiracy theory. Is it? Well, look, vaguely, vaguely, but it's like with, with, it's the means by which these things are done yeah. is is meant to be more nefarious and mm-hmm. more. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty. Yeah, you know, but the fact that that there it's a book that's platforming off that concept in in a way the concept of mm-hmm. the el- elite uh, grouping and influence and controlling and all that the cabal, so to speak. Um, oh, oh, and and ju- just maybe this will make you laugh. Uh, the Illuminati, as they exist today in the in the fiction of the story, they're offshoots from the lost city of Atlantis. As you do. Um, <laughs> why not? Uh, why not just throw it in there for good measure? No, but the, the, that that idea that that's the the thing. Uh, but one of the tactics that's usually I know is vaguely ascribed to this concept of you know uh, a, a, oh, an elite group controlling the population mm-hmm. includes confusion, distraction, distortion. Mm. So it's it's kind of something about it that strikes me as funny is a book that's basically using confusion, distraction, distortion to convey the story behind so the the values or the thing underlying lying behind it. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit like I can't think of a good analogy, but it's a little bit it feels a little bit like I guess working on an oil rig in order to protest fossil fuels. Like there's something about it that's using the tool itself to try and use that as a means by which one one is commenting on, like getting mm. the reader to challenge or comment on it. It's something about it that's a bit funny because as you're saying, like you almost need to let go of that critical part of your mind in order to be able to navigate it. Yeah. And then I'm going, well, isn't that the whole point of the distraction, distortion and confusion? Like, isn't that the point? That's why they that means is 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 described as being these are meant to be tools that do that. So the population is less critical and therefore more malleable and compl- like compliant in a way. Mm. So it's, it's it's odd that a, a book, which one would assume is 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 criticizing or commenting or challenging the reader to oh, consider this. The, 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 the Illuminati are the at least at this point in the story, you know, a, a chunk into the second book of three. The Illuminati are the bad guys here. So, so, so now it would be interesting to see what happens by the end of the trilogy, if, if mm. they're the bad guys or if they're basically in charge of everything anyway. But yes, so, but well, it, well, it's, like, it's, it's good that it's encouraging you to, to, to write. So that's, that's really good. That's yeah, like, I, I'd be so fascinated to hear your thoughts on it, but just based on the, the amount of uh, vulgarity in the book, I don't think you'd have a good time. No, I'd just probably avoid it. Like, oh uh, man, there's... Uh, I, I'm like this. It, it, it's funny though because I do read some graphic novels that are probably uh, not. I don't know why actually. There's some graphic novels I'm not quite <laughs> I don't know why. 
I don't know why I have to actually re-examine as to what it is, what yeah. value they bring. Um, but there's some that I've, I've, I've read that I've really gotten into. And I think some of it, it's because they uh, obscure, they challenge um, our approach to, say, fairy tales. Like Fables is a really good one. I, li- um, I, I, I read Fables up until shortly after the reveal of the, the leader of the army. Yeah, and, so this, um, this, yeah. And, get- and I wanted to continue, but I think at the time, the friend who I was borrowing the graphic novels off of didn't have many more past that, or they moved. Something happened where I could no longer continue. It's not. It wasn't by choice. It was just, yeah. and, you know, that was kind of the main mystery of a, a huge, the, the huge chunk of, I know the series, I don't know if it's still going, but I know it continued way past that reveal. <laughs> I think it's finished in 2016. From oh wow, that's or- ways past. But you know, it felt like at least the core mystery of what the the series was to that point had been resolved. So I was happy. At least you know, I wanted to continue, but I was happy leaving it there as well. It gets really good, but um, hmm. yeah, there's 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 elements about that. Like i so I'm I'm used to a certain amount. If anyone's read Fables, you'll know uh, a certain amount of graphic elements that are. I mean. Mm-hmm. Frank Miller's Sin City, like, yeah. Oh so, man, Sin City, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'm used to it, but I think it's, I guess it's different for me when I, like in a graphic novel, I can kind of navigate it, but then when it comes to reading a book that goes down that path, huh. I go, I, I don't know, something about it. Oh, I, I think I know why. Um, well, I have a, a, a theory. I have a theory. Mm. In the graphic novel, the graphic nature of it is there the visual component is there for you it has been interpreted by an art interpreted by an artist when it's on the written page the interpreter is your mind and that can be so yeah. much more horrific than yeah. even even the best artist you know well, well because it's there it's tangible it, yeah. you, you know as horrific as something might be like let's say like a gruesome act of violence with, with its consequences that can be horrific on the page of a graphic novel, but it's there. You see it, and, and yeah, you're so, like, okay, that's it right there. But when it's in your mind, it can be anything. Yeah, so it ends up becoming a case of, yeah, because you, you understand, for me, the, it, it lets your mind kind of go off onto spiraling uh, uh, yeah, it, tangents. And triggers, and, and conceptual, yeah. yeah. Yeah, conceptualizing and all that. But yes, it's, it's been, it's been it, yes. There's, 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 a, there's a few, um, few, a few books that that I st- started stopped because of that. But it's, okay. um, yeah, there's some, I, I, you know, my preferences. They tend to be either towards the fluff or like fairly heavy <laughs> academic concepts on, and this is not work related stuff, but like heavy academic, I guess, concepts related to social structures and individuals and. Education so, so, and all so, that. So it's, yeah. Psychology, sociology, you know, all those lighthearted uh, Yeah, so, psychology, sociology, um, I guess in, in, in a way uh, the concept of civilization and, and examining like what civilization, like building, a, building, like learning from past, but also kind of what are some concepts that are needing to be understood in order to view the world as. And I guess an an emerging civilization, hmm. um, and then it, it it just things that kind of broad bigger picture view that also then draw back down to the individual 
at the individual kind of level. That's 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 where I like to go with with my rating or <laughs> no, no, fluff. No, yeah, no wonder you go towards fluff when it's more fiction. Yeah, yeah. So my fiction reads most of the time. There's once in a while there'll be something that's not. Like they'll be the ones that are a little bit more, uh, I guess, n- higher nutritional value uh, for as far as a book goes, less less fluff. But the the vast majority have been, I guess, fluff. But I will say, author one author I've been enjoying is Heather um, G. Harris. I'm not specifically referencing a series because I've read a few of her series this year and the last few years. Um, she's quite like she's just got a nice style to her writing generally hmm. do you have a like, recommendation for me or our listeners ah oh, the glimmer i can't remember that's the one the first series i think i read from her was the glimmer series i'll have to double check and that one got um heather g i know this it's funny also because i end up reading authors and then i find out that one author actually does a shout out to the other author so uh-huh. it's 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 been interesting that there's been this uh, the ones that I've I've enjoyed sometimes they'll be overlapping um like cheering each other on kind of ref, like on their social media or other spaces. But yeah there's a series called which is she's she's got one that's that's set in the other world so to speak. And she's got a reading order on her website as well so the other realm that's it. So the other realm series, and then there's the other wolf and the other court and the court series. She has she has some different. They're mostly set in England as well. Okay. So for me, there's a little bit of like, oh, there's that's Liverpool, and oh, that's you know, like there's a little bit of that going on as well. And hmm. and England, I should say, England and Scotland, no, and no, Wales. No, that's that's like any time. Um, I think that's why I like the Shadowrun universe so much. Any time a story set in Seattle, I'm like, yay, my place. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was pretty like that's pretty good. I also tend to enjoy authoress uh, Annabelle Chase. The one that's called The Crossroads Queen was is a pretty good, decent book. Like I found it really so far so good. But yes, to the book that I recommended to you, The House Witch, uh, by Delam Hach. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I apologize. I've really like as far as authors goes. As, as far as authors go, like really enjoyable, really dynamic, really, but also da- like very, you can connect. I recommend some of these books need to go past the 10% rule initially, just because they're setting up the world. They're well, setting up the whole world. Well, and let then me that just say something tricky. about that 10%. Um, yeah. I'm sure I've, I've given this analogy before on uh, the podcast, but Anytime anyone has ever told me, you know, this thing's great, but you need to get past, you know, yay amount before it gets good, right? Like it has a slow beginning or the beginning is not that good. Um, I give an example with like famous anime series. Like I remember yeah. it a lot with Hunter Hunter where they say the initial arc is not that great, but once you get past that, it really takes off. But when I mm-hmm. watched Hunter Hunter, I loved it from the first episode. Yeah. Like the way the characters, the, 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 the style, the tone. Yeah, it, it, it hooked me with what it was. And I've always found that to be the case. Anytime someone's ever giving me that warning that, oh, it takes yay pages or yay episodes yeah. to get good. It's like anytime I've attempted those and I've liked it, it's yeah. always been, no, there's something here from the get-go that, that brings me on board. I think, I think The House Witch will probably be one that will get you like that. 
But the only reason I say this is for, for dear listeners who, who might not have that sensitive. Oh, of course, of course. Silly yes. me. Um, it's it's all about okay. me, of course. It's <laughs> all, for those listeners who might not have that sensitivity, give it a little bit of time because the, it just it's not that it's bad or anything. It's just that that initial setting up of the of the world for some of the fantasy, like you know you've got a really good fantasy author when they've managed to weave together the fabric of a world that is actually quite convincing, but they, they're taking a little bit of time for you to transition from the world that we exist in mm. to enter their, their, their magical, I guess, world in, in that sense. The other series that was really good or the other author that was really good is, um, where are you? That's sorry, sorry. Okay. You're going to like this for the pun. Okay. It's a coop of tea. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful <laughs> yes and the series is called the tea princess chronicles book one is that's book one i do recommend it for the punny titles alone tea set and match is another one <laughs> uh royalty service <laughs> and that's i think where the puns end but yeah there's some really good again a, a world building an immediate series of crises, but also the dynamics of characters really essentially to, to, to give a very overall view of, of this one, like the, the tea princess chronicles. I mean, obviously there's a princess involved, so there you go. That's well done. But I mean, just reading the blurbs, like when the fourth princess of Istalam is due to dedicate herself to a path serving the crown, she makes a choice that shocks everyone herself. Most of all, she leaves. Again, that's not a pun. That's just funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Once you pointed out, I'm like, what's the pun? Oh, I get it. That's terrible. In hiding and exiled from power, Miara finds her place running a tea shop in a struggling community that sits on the edge of a magical disaster zone. But there's more brewing. Oh, gosh, the puns. There's more. (laughs) I didn't notice the puns before. Okay. (laughs) There's more brewing. Under the surface of the city, hidden magic and hidden machinations that threaten all the people who've helped her make her own way. Miara might not be a princess anymore, but with a teapot in hand, she'll risk her newfound freedom to discover a more meaningful kind of power. So it's really, it's quite lovely. Hmm. Like it's, 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 it's sweet, it's lovely, and it's going to make you want to drink a cup of tea and, and wonder about some of the ingredients that they use and then not want to come drink a cup of tea. Can't say any more without spoilers. Anyway, so I do recommend that. It's a pretty good hmm. one. Uh, it's a pretty good series. Just trying to see, like, it's, I found that really, that one really was engaging. That was one of those very satisfying, the dynamics of relationships and being pulled out of your comfort zone and getting to know who you are as a person hmm. kind, of, kind of series, which I really do recommend. But yeah, it's it's been like these are the, the the I'm I'm sticking to the fluff descriptions because some of the other the things that are not fluff are a little bit, huh, some some of my less less fluffy choices I should say, tend to be quite they can be they're not confronting in the sense of making you feel little or bad or whatever but it, they can really be confronting from a challenging your worldview. Hmm kind of way and i think that that can be a bit let's Ooh. use the word discom- discombobulating I, I i actually want to launch into something based on that idea yes, there we um, go. this is not a book 
This is a game I played once. I am replaying. I'm doing a video on it next year. It is called Disco Elysium and is one of the best written games I have ever played in my life. It is set in this fictional world that when you learn more about how this world is constructed, that is almost the more fascinating part of it. You play a cop who wakes up after a three-day bender who cannot remember who he is, and there is a hanged body in the back of the hostel you're staying at. So the point of the game is to find out who killed the hangman, as well as to piece yourself back together. Man. And w the, the thing that launched from your, that idea about confronting ideas is because you are an amnesiac, there are two aspects of your personality that you can role play, that you can kind of key in. Because the gameplay is really wild in terms of you have 24 aspects of your personality that are your uh, skills. Like if you were playing an RPG, it would be like agility or strength or that. But these are actual aspects of your personality that you can level up as you gain experience. And as you're talking to people, these skills, if you have enough points in them, they talk to you and offer suggestions. You know, they're not right or wrong, but like if authority talks to you, it might be like really put the screws to this person while, you know, empathy might say, oh, you, you should really see what they're going through, that kind of thing. Uh, you can internalize thoughts that you can equip. It's kind of like your armor and they give bonuses, but it also... The, what I'm getting to, uh, I'm having to kind of give you this background because when it comes to your ideology and what type of cop you are, you have free reign. There are four ideologies in the game. Uh, you can be a communist. You can be a moralist, which is basically like today's version of a liberal, just status quo. You know, mm. what's going on right now is fine. You can be an ultra liberal, which kind of is more like a monarchist, you know, uh, or a capitalist is the best way to put them anything for capital, or you can be a fascist. One of the funny things about the game is a lot of people online complained because they were picking what they saw as the centrist options, and the game ended up labeling them as fascists, and they were very mad about it. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. No matter what ideology you pick, the thoughts in your head and the, the, uh, the dialogue options towards those ideologies are always their most extreme version. So if you mm. want to follow communism, suddenly your brain starts talking about, you know, murdering the people in charge to bring about utopia, you know, really heinous stuff. You know, that's mm. like the next step. You want to make a better world. Well, you got to get rid of the people in charge, right? And, oh, and that, yeah. that's been criticized. But here's the reason. And, and it took me to, re to watch other people's discussions about this game to key into this. And I think it's very clever. Your character is a drugged out, drunk burnout. So, you know, they are a recovering alcoholic and a recovering drug user. You can choose to indulge those elements as you play the game, or you can choose to try and be sober. Both have uh, pros and cons. But the idea is that anything this character does is basically done to the extreme because they are a drug addict. They are an extreme person. So if they are going to follow an ideology they are going to dive headfirst into the most extreme version of that ideology. Well, for, for, for in the in the context of this, yes. this particular game, the interpretation of this yeah. game, yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. So, so, so that that's what makes it so endlessly fascinating. And it's a, it's an RPG without combat. It's basically just talking to people. But it's because of the skill system, because of the thoughts, and because of how well everything is written 
that the game is endlessly engaging and endlessly replayable. Yet you you can do a full fascist hard-nosed cop playthrough, which sounds abhorrent to me, but it's that idea where, you know, if you really want to let a, a, a person role play, you got to give them the good and the bad. And both are viable and both are given the same care and attention. Mm. It'd be interesting to, from a, so that you can explore like the extremes of, of mm-hmm. worldviews. Yeah, it, it very much is that. And um, mm. because of the way the world works, I don't want to give it away because when I found out how the world works, it's kind of a later game revelation. I found that even more interesting than trying to solve who killed the hangman. It, and and that it, it I'll say it's more existential. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, and also you have a partner who comes to help you named Kim Katsuragi, and the idea of doing anything to make this man think less of you just hurts my heart. He is such a good person. <laughs> so he's kind of like your moral compass, which is funny because he is a moralist. He's in favor of the status quo. I mean, he is a police officer. But, you know, he's, he's non-judgmental, and he's there to do the job, and he believes in what he's doing. And the things he's actually passionate about and who he is as a person, if you can actually start to dig under those layers, if he warms up to you enough, mm-hmm. he's just a wonderful character. And it's a real um, kind of, I'm trying to think of the right word, counterweight to who your character is, this wild burnout, who you can try and make him be better. But, you know, Mm. this is a man with brain damage and who is a a burnout and a drug addict. And Mm. uh, so so his most of most of the dialogue options, a lot of them are very wild and out there and left field. And I I can see Rue's response. And I I understand that, yeah, this could be very insensitive, but it's uh, it's it's more like it's it's in the context of this game. That's the way. So where where there's an emphasis on framing it using the societal, I well, guess oh, perce- perceptions and 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 this particular character's like that that extreme of the stereotype, I guess is 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 the thing or the societally yeah. induced judgment. That's well, well let, let me also give you some background because this is not Earth, right? Um, yes. The game the game was made by uh, developers from Estonia who are mm-hmm. uh, the leads are avowed communists which makes their, their criticisms of communism very funny because they, they know both the pros and cons of that ideology. <laughs> but uh, basically, this city called Revishal had a failed revolution 40 years before this game takes place. The, mm. uh, the king was highly corrupt. So there, there, were a, there were a bunch of societal ills. And then a pandemic came through uh, that was the spark that kind of mm. allowed... Uh, this communist leader to take his faction, overthrow the monarchy, and take control of Revishal, and try and impose like a communist state. And the, what happened was the rest of the world looked at what they were doing and said, we don't want to even see if this is successful. And they came in and squashed it and basically killed countless amounts of people. And now the city for 40 years has been under a, a zone of control from like the world government. And, and and most of it has not even been repaired from the war, mm. so so that's kind of the the um... <laughs> might 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 explain why someone would probably turn to substances in order to 
cope with that reality. But yes, yes. And, and also when you find out why your character is such developed. a... Uh, is yeah. that way has, as Has well. developed these coping strategies that are probably not ideal. No, yes. no. It's, it, and I will say, despite of the big swings I've been talking about, the game is highly nuanced. And it's just the writing itself is it's 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 funny and poignant and interesting and engaging and it's just yeah it's one of the best things I've played in years mm. and and I think it's mainly due to the strength of writing that's why I'm bringing it up yes. here because it's it's because it, on the yeah because it's about stories and I mean we know the yes. stories are the thing like it's uh, actually speaking of what seems to be I'm confused as to okay so there's a book okay and I have to tell you about it because it's okay. <laughs> It's weird because it's good, but it's also weird because it's kind of seems to be set on Earth, but also at the same time, I'm confused a little bit. Ah. Because it's, it's launched, it launches quite firmly into a world built that's, um, okay. So, I mean, firstly, authors Vanessa Nelson is called the, I, I'm going to pronounce it this way, so it might be pronounced differently. Sorry. The Tail, Tail and F complete series because of course my, my complete series addiction <laughs> um it, it it's it's one and the, i mean the the titles themselves are harder to but they, they're um so concealed cloaked tainted betrayed revealed so like the, the titles are like descriptors i guess okay but it's this idea is like you have an oath-bound servant who's an outcast and no one cares if she lives arrow just wants her freedom Days away from the end of her service, the Aerith, so it's a species, the Aerith that very fae-like, it seems like the fae or some sort of elf or something like that, the Aerith set her one last task, perhaps the most difficult she has ever faced, investigate the sudden death of a high-ranking shape-changer, the Aerith's ancient enemy. So you've got kind of shifters. Hmm. You've got kind of magic-y kind of elves. Okay. And you've got humans. The Aerith have tried to make her an outcast, but she might be the only one who can save them. Follow Arrow's complete story in one volume for the first time, which is this whole book, which is, yes, yeah, so concealed, revealed, betrayed, tainted, cloaked. Um, and if you like, so this is the blur, but it's like, it, it is mystery and it, it's fantasy and mystery and spells. And it's quite good. Uh, it, it's really quite well written and, and to the point where she went and she edited her she said the, basically like the versions that were uploaded in January 2022 contained errors and then she went through and she fixed them and it was mm. um, it should be corrected now but even like sincere apologies to everyone affected by this so like mm. there are those who don't even bother they're like mm. we'll just take it lump it or leave it but this is someone who actually cares about the the readers having a pleasant like well a good experience reading it because um, I, I, I don't know if you're one of these people Rue I don't think you are uh, but I, I do have friends who tend to think less of a book or at least point out every time they see a typo. I don't think less of a book. I'll, I'll sometimes giggle when it's a funny one where, where it's, it's like, you know, the, the classic someone edited this and they've probably introduced the error themselves. Like not ah, that it yeah. probably got edited and it got introduced um, because that does happen. Or there's like a, the only ones that will sometimes bug me if I get a lot of context errors. So if they swap characters' names mm. when it's not quite right, then I'm like, okay, guys, go back, please fix this because this is <laughs> this is confusing. Other than that, it, an, an occasional typo is not going to be a big deal. It will give me an indication usually of 
the editing process more than the author themselves. Because when mm-hmm. you're writing, if you use, for example, voice recognition to do your writing for you, then you're going to occasionally get grammatically hilarious situations yeah. like, you know, with where and where or... That's actually um, uh, why I stopped yeah. using the voice-to-text option on my phone because I found I was having to go back after I'd stopped talking and fix too many words. I'm like, I might as well just type this myself. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's... it's sometimes I send it with typos and hope that it's clear enough that the context will make it clear. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say, it's. A, I found it a really, again, well-written book. Again, this coming of realization and trying to recognize who you are getting to know yourself as a person Mm. processing anger and resentment as well in this one this one might have a little bit of a trigger for anyone who's uh lost parents um or it might be a little bit of a trigger for someone who uh, i mean to be fair this is this is a very extreme kind of case but if anyone's experienced like isolation or I'm going to say even someone of a mixed race background who, because of their mixed race background, has experienced prejudice or uh, abuse or anything, they might potentially have some triggers here. But remember, this is a fantasy book and, and try, try, try to, you can see the parallels um, between the dice. But the thing that was confusing about it, yes, there's humans. There seem to have been some sort of events. There's occasionally vague references to modern technologies that have been lost in a way, uh, it, it's what it what it's reading like, and then there's just yeah. So there's some, some some things that clearly have been going on, where where it's it's seems that there there, there must have been events, and you get like an a little tiny sense of some of the things that must have been and must have gone on that we. So, so it's like magic is an overt thing. Hmm. It's an accepted thing. It's a recognized thing. But then at the same time, you also have, it, it, again, can't say much without spoiling big chunks of the book. So there's, there's just, it's, it's interesting how they even address certain ideologies that do come up when there's difference and different approaches and different existence. It, it's, uh, part, it's part of the confusion that you're, you're not quite sure what, if it's supposed to be Earth, what time and place. That's part of it. Like you can't quite put your finger on it there's another series that i read that i do recommend which i can't remember now that i'm going to find the author because i do recommend that also has a kind of almost post-apocalyptic but it's it's magical post-apocalyptic it's like the earth had enough okay and got ticked off and (laughs) said right i'm i'm uh, that's enough it is it's uh, by kim mcdougall um and it's called the valkyrie bestiary okay is the series. Uh, the first one is Dragons Don't Eat Meat. <laughs> and it's a dark and humorous urban fantasy where, where again, another one is like, uh, I'm going to say it my way. It might be pronounced differently, but it's Kira Green is a sucker for vulnerable critters. The exiled Valkyrie pest controller <laughs> shares her chaotic home with a banshee roommate, a pygmy kraken, and a basilisk who thinks he's a turkey. <laughs> but when she rescues a little dragon that swallowed a dangerous artifact, she's stuck working with a mysterious gargoyle who kissed her a year ago and then ghosted. With a, so there's our, there's our romance element. Okay. With a rogue fae prince after the relic gurgling around in the tiny worm's tummy, Kira and her irritating companion venture into the magical and lawless in-between to find the babe's elders. 
And as attraction brews and enemies converge, she fears they might not make it out alive without triggering a supernatural civil war. Can she get the hatchling to safety or will her world descend into disaster? So it, there's a lot of laughter that like you do laugh, but there's also some really, um, again, heavy themes. And mm. it, but the the laugh out loud moments are pretty 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 great. And, and you, you can you can get a sense just reading the, about the author, which is if she could have one magical superpower, it would be to talk to animals or maybe shift into an animal form. Definitely, physical critters and magic often feature in her story. So it's like she 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 loves the author already has an appreciation for the mythical, but also just generally animals. Mm. And, and life which is why that series is interesting because it's set in the future and it gives you a date ah. it gives you dates like 2000 um, I can't even remember now what the date was because it's been a while like it was just fairly recently I read the last one but the this idea of it's it gives a date Valkyrie Valkyrie thank you Viciere great I love how I write Valk and it, it immediately kicks it up it knows it knows me well. I'm just going to f- grab one of the random ones and, and see what date. So one of the books is, for example, is at 2000. I want to say it's 2100 something. Um, I might be wrong. But yeah, so this this idea that someone, that you've got, it's set in the future and it's set in a context where you, you're not actually quite sure what's happened, but then you kind of get a little bit more and more and then all the puzzle pieces start emerging and you're going, oh, oh, something something big happened. And then you find out more and more. And so there is an an ever expanding kind of storyline that's under under arc that to the story that's really nicely done. Okay. And you don't necessarily have to understand at the beginning exactly what happened. The story itself that's the the main the story of the book will be enough usually to to get your attention. Good. But then you go, "Oh, okay, hold up. What what else was going on?" Yeah, well, well, going back to Disco Elysium, like the the background I told you about the city and like that, that's all only if you kind of explore it, you know, I'll, apparently the, the author wrote like the last you know, few thousand years because this is a, a world he spent like 20 years developing like a tabletop campaign for, you know, so inside and out and it's all there in the periphery, which uh, I think is the appropriate place for lore. Yes, yes. Periphery is is good. This one is periphery, and then it weaves through, and suddenly you're like, "Oh!" So 2081 is this particular novel that I just randomly opened, which is one of the ones, fifth one this year. So yes, it's it's not that far in the future, but it's also not that close. Mm. I I like how uh, that I mainly recognize this with video games from the 90s. But any times they wanted to do the future but didn't want to commit to a date, it would always be like 20xx. Yes, yes, and I mean now we're gonna have some that are set far, far beyond that. I'm just thinking of um, actually, what 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 year was um, uh, Mass Effect set in? No, so never mind. But yeah, so the, it's when when they they set it like almost fifty, sixty years into the future. Actually, this this segs into the next book I want to talk about. Let me just bring up. Sadly, this is another one I didn't really enjoy. Uh, I will explain why. It's called To Sleep in a Sea of Stars by Christopher Paolini. It's the, apparently he's the guy who wrote Aragon, uh, which I've not read or watched. It's a science fiction book by him. The reason I brought, uh, it reminded me because his book is set in humanity's future when we're starting to colonize other planets. And, you know, we have 
technology that allows us to go to warp speed, or I forget how it works, but basically, I remember it was an offhand comment from one of the characters in the book that this this story takes place 300 years after humanity was first able to kind of go off into the stars like they are. Mm. So uh, yeah, three centuries sounds like a good time frame to get from, you know, first inklings to what's happening in the story. The reason I don't think highly of it is actually, so both this book and a book I read last year by a, a fantasy author called Sarah J. Mass, both of these were voted in the Goodreads, like fantasy and sci-fi categories. So I thought I'd check mm. them out. Uh, along with like Andy Weir books, which I've not really liked his work. Uh, the Martian was okay, but I've not re- Basically, these books plus a couple others have led, like one called The Midnight Library, have led me to rethink about ever reading a book that wins like the good year's best of year. <laughs> I just realized that for the majority of them, they're not books that vibe with me. Uh, yeah. But but here's the problem I have with this book and the Sarah J. Mass book in particular, and I think maybe it's a, a problem with modern sci-fi fantasy, in that both of these were 800 to 900 pages. They were tomes. And after reading both books, I liked both, actually. Both were fine, but I think they would have been good books. I didn't like them, but I think they would have been good books if they had both been at least 400 to 500 pages. Mm-hmm. I, and maybe it's it, it sounds so arrogant to me to say because I'm not a published author, but you know maybe if they were better writers, they would be able to cut out the fluff. It reminds me of how like the first four Harry Potter books are pretty good in terms of pacing, and then they got more bloated and bloated until the end. Like I still enjoyed them at the time, but yeah, bloat seems to be a real big thing, at least mm, in terms mm. of certain authors in fantasy and sci-fi, especially with the Sarah J. Mass one. It was just like, uh, it, it had a romance element to it, and it had a mystery element, but it just felt like both were being stretched as, as, long as far as they could with this one. Yeah, it feels like, like any time they had to go to the next step of the, the journey, again, it was just this stretching of yeah, we could just go there and have our action scene and move on and get the revelation we need. But no, let's keep, uh, or sorry, let's not keep moving. Let's, let, let's, let's delve into the technology. Let's delve into the science. Let's, let's spend some time with the characters, which I don't complain about that. Those were my favorite parts. It's like a ragtag group of weirdos on this, on this mercenary ship she finds herself on. And like, that was fun. I like anything where characters get to interact with each other. But it's like those bits seemed far and few between. It was the action scenes and the, the science that I didn't care about, especially because there's a sci-fi. Just tell me that it works. You don't have to go into the particulars of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, and maybe that's just my personal preference. I imagine, you know, uh, we've talked about hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi before. In the, actually, in the Cat's Cradle season, it comes up. But, like, I know there are readers that love when science fiction is based on like our knowledge of physics and chemistry, the idea that, oh, this is feasible with what we know now, or at least you've taken what we know now and you've cleverly extrapolated to make your world. Like that was the whole thing behind The Martian was, oh, I have, I have a character stranded on Mars. Let me try and work through everything that can go wrong and see if I can work out like a scientific solution based on what we know now to get him out of there. Yeah, and, 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 yeah oh, I, sorry, I enjoy Ruth. it. I'm with you. I'm, I enjoy that. 
but also there's there's it's a very fine balance there's a fine balance between you know weaving the the hard like the hard fiction or like that that kind of explanation through it or at least convincingly say okay these are the laws of physics in this world <laughs> it's like the suspend this what your concepts are these are our concepts versus just sitting there and we don't need a, a, a like i guess a, a, a physics grade thesis on the laws of the physics of this world like you don't need to go to that level of depth and and people really struggle with finding that middle ground well and, and here's the thing as well like one of the things that was in my head when I was reading both these books, because they are so long, and to me, it seemed there was no need for the length. It's like, you're obviously popular authors, and you're, you're obviously it's a growth thing, but you're not Tolkien. There are so, you're not Frank Herbert. There are so few authors I feel can get away with using that length. And even, you know, even with how much I love Lord of the Rings, what's the main complaint that comes up with even people who love that work? Oh, he loves his prose, doesn't he? <laughs> the descriptions, yes. they can be a bit much. But Yeah, but, and, and but there's like, a value to descriptions. Mm. But yes, I'm with you. Like when there's a point where you're going, mate, like, calm down. Do we really need Tom Bombadil? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we do. We do. But, you know, that, that's a joke as well. There's a, there's a reason he wasn't in the movies. How would that even work? <laughs> No. <laughs> but um, but yeah. but yeah with with like and I will say so to sleep in a sea of stars the ending was fascinating like like where where the book ended up going what what like like the end the end uh, journey of the main character really interesting ending but two problems with it one it took eight to nine hundred bloody pages to get there so mm. I, I I was over it by the time we got to that part where I'm like that's pretty cool. B, in this ending, he very, not subtly at all, sets up a bigger problem for a sequel. So it's almost like there isn't actually much closure to the story because suddenly you've gone, sure, we could have a nice closure to the story. Oh, but there's this even bigger problem here uh, uh. That, that, you know, I understand the idea of maybe wanting to revisit this world and these characters, but give me... That not not they lived happily ever after, but give me like give me a breather, give me that. Well, we can we can rest on our laurels. We can we can have a party. We we can sit and breathe for a moment before thinking of what might be next. What might be the next problem? Yeah, it's yes, I'm I'm, I'm with you. Like it's 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 one of those cases of like you are allowed. You know what it is? It's it's I'm gonna very bluntly state this as. And you'd be more familiar with this concept simply with your your background of of uh, media media evaluation and criticism and and narrative kind of exploration of of these these fields. There is almost an affliction that seems to be afoot, which is. But what if this gets um, serialized? What if this gets? Um, that would. Uh, that yeah, a... what if I get picked up by by one of the big companies and yes. they want to make a series? Mm-hmm. And then and and I've seen it actually happen where there's on Netflix there's a few series that I know I've read the books and I'm going, "Really? That's the book you've decided to go with? That's the book you've decided to to make an animated series of? That's that's a bold choice because like I I've read bits of the book and I've gone, "This was a really not so uh, 
it, it there was when I talk about fluff, it put the it put the the some interesting aspects of fluff into the fluff. Uh, it was definitely not what I would consider to be a young adult book. I'd say it was okay. it was it was teetering towards the adult end of the young adult book ranges. Mm. That, yes, yes. So uh, and seeing that and there's this this almost and the reason I call it an affliction is that because you are getting your vision of wishing to leave space for continuation mm -hmm. get in the way of telling a satisfying story we we've i i swear we have ranted about we, this before we have but it's we continue to rant about it mm. because maybe someone's listening who is <laughs> could you please like feel free to to not do what they did to firefly and leave it open-ended a resolution is not a bad thing. Like you, those characters can continue to live happily ever after if you need, if that's what you're needing. So, or or every, everybody dies. I mean, like whatever it is that needs to happen, we can have. You can, if you want to add to that universe, you can have their offspring. I've I've read read actually really good series who did that. Yeah, well, well, who did um, that? Yeah. You know, we we we've soured on the author, but a series we both loved when we were teenagers, the Zanth books. One thing I loved about those books when I was reading them and when you were loaning me them is the idea that, you know, in book one, two people would get together. They'd have a kid. In book four or five, the kid would be old enough to have their own adventure and they'd meet these other kids. And then by book nine, you'd be, you'd be following their children. And basically it just kept going on that way. There were certain characters that kept on entering because, you know, they were timeless or certain things happened, you know, magic. But but I that's one thing I always really loved about Zaint that I really haven't seen in too many other series. Like um I've only read the first three Crondor books by Raymond E. Feist because mm. Magician is such a good book on its own. I've read that book like, you know, like seven times, but Silverthorn and the other one afterward, I I've only read those a handful because it's almost like I don't need your continuation of the trilogy because Magician is so good. But I know in Crondor, like he he wrote so many more books like that. You know, people get together, they have kids, and then you follow the kids. It has it has continuity in there as well. Yeah, this this there's one series. I'm trying to remember what it was. It has to do. It, ha it was a last year book, I think. It was to do with. Uh, basically, they you had all these magic users. It's again magic users, and you, you'd mm. get sent to this school because everyone has to find their talent and their ability, and blah blah blah. <laughs> As you do, I mean, like a lot of the time, they, yeah, that's yeah. what they do. And what happened was that this one magic user, they can't figure out what their power is, and then it's because her her way of doing magic is completely different. Like it's mm -hmm. almost like everyone else has to. I can't remember if it was everyone else had to speak out their spells and she had to write them or vice versa, that everyone needed to write them as scrolls and and she had to she actually had to verbalize it. You, you know, um that same trope is part of the first Mistborn book, uh by what what's yeah. that guy's name? Um That's Sanderson. Like Brandon that. Sanderson. Yes. Um yes, which yes. which I have issues with that book, so I won't get into it because I know people love him. It just wasn't for me. But also, um, that was actually a uh, a thing with the first Cradle book as well. That was a that's a series I've talked about before on these book chats that finished up this year, the final book of the Cradle series, and it was a decent enough ending, you know, for what a fourteen fifteen book series over. A, uh, he's he's done like one to two a year ever since it started. But yeah, the the start of Cradle is like he there's this martial arts school and 
each each of them can only do one one element of the school you know you when you're born and you're either put in this camp this camp this camp this camp and by the end of the first book this isn't really a spoiler but you know someone comes into the the, the village and is like oh you know outside this village everyone does everything yes yeah and then there's that's that's the kind of thing like you'd you'd have these kind of yeah the, these kind of scenarios that occurred by the way, uh, I apologize to all the listeners. I just realized the house witch has now been switched over to be uh, um, no longer on Kindle Unlimited, unfortunately. I think the authors must have done a final update and, and editing and are just releasing a, a for pay version. But I, I will say the author is great. Like, great, hmm. great flow. Um, what, but, yes, so, but yes, yeah. I was just going to say the, the, the uh, yes, this idea of it's a great trope. It's an effective trope. Mm-hmm. And I actually have some suspicions that it's possibly I wonder how much of that is the an effect of a lot of people who have felt isolated or different or not catered to by the reality or the way that that people that society works like the way that schools work the way that Mm -mm. education systems work the mentalities towards uh workplaces and and career and all that so 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 people who who have not been served adequately by the existing systems and dynamics Mm. and in fact have been ostracized or disadvantaged because of the current systems and dynamics would find that very relevant i I would say a lot of authors do kind of relate to that even um yeah well, yeah, yes. they're, they're authors, which is a creative field. And yes, I think creative people have a tougher time than most. Yes. Um, I mean, yes. And then there's also the whole, I, I would be curious to, to look at some of that. I mean, sometimes it's very obvious that you've got someone who is writing from a perspective of, yeah, and it, it, like the creative that's basically felt ostr- be, being mm. ostracized, or they're just, sometimes it's also just taking a character because they figure if they put the character in 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 you know it's like the the orphan in the story mm-hmm. versus the orphan in reality where we we placing them in the role of the hero and so therefore they they can sacri- they are willing to sacrifice all because what <laughs> they've got nothing to lose right well, so, I, I, I was i was thinking about that as you said it i and it just occurred to me it's also probably this idea where they have no official ties to the existing structure which allows them to move yes. on and try something new, go off into the unknown. Yes, because you can use it. You can use the tool of their the absence of their connections and ties in the traditional sense that the person that most people relate to connections and ties mm. has is disrupted. But then you've got other ones where they've done. I've seen some fantastically done ways of. Yes, there's the the chosen family concept. Mm-hmm. Yes. Beautiful. And that's that's stuff done very well across many authors. Mm-hmm. But I've seen some beautiful ones where there's chosen family and then there's being confronted by how much you're also contributing to your own isolation when you're not recognizing that you've actually developed a chosen family. It's so that kind of realization where the character doesn't realize that those people that are that are around them, their support structures and they're trying to not burden this. I mean, yes, that's another trope where they don't want to burden people around them because they're the hero and the noble and blah, blah, yeah, that concept thing. But in this case, it's once in a while it's done so well where they manage to reach through and kind of go, hold up. No, you don't get to go off and sacrifice yourself. You have people who care for you, who are actually wanting to be there for you. 
and work with you. And and no matter what you do, we're not going to let you just yeah. go and do the thing oh, I'm, without I'm try- I'm caring trying- for you. I've seen it in a few books where they've done it very, very well. Very few series where they've done it really well. Um, yeah. And then there's the whole, I love you, therefore I wish to sacrifice myself for you. But then everyone's like, well, if you actually love me, you wouldn't mm. be doing that because then yeah. we, you, we would miss you. So it's, it's the, once in a while that, that gets addressed really well. Sometimes could be better. Sometimes it's very blunt and overt and other times it's more subtle. But they handle this concept of growth and sacrifice and the desire to, to, to leave a mark is one of the most universal universally engaging themes that's why mm-hmm. i see it. it's like su- because every that idea of like you m- want to leave a mark it's not and it's not about you mm. you just want your life to have had meaning and purpose yes and that that that's done sometimes in in very you know very, very rough kind of ways but they the the underlying concept is still this the definition of sacrifice really gets explored a lot in 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 this kind of fiction as yeah. as fluffy or as heavy as you want to go, the key topics being sacrifice, self selflessness. What is selflessness? And actually exploring in the terms of if you are you being truly selfless if you are not valuing your life when others value your life. Mm-hmm. And actually challenging questions of what is what does it mean to care for others? What does it mean to love others? What does it mean? to be challenged and how you address those challenges is fascinating. So I guess Mm -hmm. the essential nobility of whether they're a human being or an elf or whatever, or whatever Mm -hmm. species you wish to substitute for your human-like creature. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's still about exploring facets of, I guess, nobility or, or, or heroism, as we like to call it. It's nobility. It's the, you know, that those, qualities of humans that we are capable of when we value them i guess sorry eh, ramble sidetrack and, well, <laughs> and and you know the right or wrong way to do things or the pros and cons of these tropes as you, you mentioned with sacrifice yeah um, i was trying to think of the story i it's probably been years but there was a story where um the character was going to sacrifice themselves, you know, to be noble. And the character came up to, you know, one of their friends came up to them pretty much before they made the decision and said, I know what you're thinking about doing, but have you really thought it through? It's a pretty selfish thing you're doing. We'd rather have you here. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I wish I could. I, I don't think it was the Dresden Files, but the thought I also had was, we've talked about this before, but one thing I love about the Dresden Files is, Harry Dresden, the main character, especially early on, he would infuriate his friends because he thought he was protecting them by not telling them the information they might need to make the decisions whether or not they'd want to fight Mm. alongside him. He thought he was keeping them safe, but what he really was doing was taking away their decision-making abilities and their abilities to be safe because they didn't know about what they're going to be facing. And luckily, by, you know, 10 books later... He kind of has removed his head from his ass a little bit. So he's like, okay, you're my friend. I respect you. This is what's happening. This is why we're doing this. And I'm letting you know so you can make the decision to walk with me with your eyes open. Yeah. It's, it's what it is. It's, it's like a, it, it's fascinating because it's almost like exploring these concepts of what is autonomy? What is uh, informed decision making? Mm-hmm. What is, you know, uh, I guess, 
this paternalistic or this this controlling kind of approach to our relationships. So yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Are we giving each other the opportunity to actually express those facets of "quote unquote" heroism, or, mm. uh, as I like to call it, the nobility of being? Like, do we give people a chance to actually explore who it is they wish to be, and do we give them an opportunity again in this fictional world? But I mean, you can translate it to the real world. Do we give each other the opportunity to to express that, to either explore who we are and express it, and in the context of I mean, in the novels, obviously, it's usually to save the country, to save the world, to yeah. save like it's it's a dramatically larger scale. But even if you look at our own lives in that smaller scale of to make a difference in our own home, to make a difference in our apartment block, to make a difference in our street, do mm. we what kind and our city, our town, our state, or whatever? So it's it's it's, it's it, even those small little. The small little dynamics of of uh, translating really nicely into questions that we are can be encouraged to examine ourselves, and and there was something that the reason this is coming to mind as well. Just the other day, I uh, went to went to a meeting, we we're exploring and discussing things like you know again, social agency, individual agency, not as an agency as in company or organization, but as an agency as in the, the ability to make decisions that have an impact on our own lives mm -hmm. and the lives around us. So agency, what is this concept of agency? And how do we make sure that when we're encouraging agency, we're also encouraging almost a, a collaborative approach to what that translates, translates to for our families, our communities, our own lives, whatever context, mm -hmm. whatever setting, scale. And then the con con comment came up that about social action, because there's, you know, when we think of social action, right? The first thing that comes to mind is, okay, you know, a uh, uh, big food drive to feed the homeless, right? That's a form of social action. Housing for, 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 for unhoused people. Uh, book Access to books. Uh, literature, uh, so literacy and numeracy drives or uh, volunteering to, to firefight, volunteer firefighters or whatever it is. Like those are like big social action things. But then what if social action, and we've had similar conversations about this before, mm -hmm. but social action can be as simple as if you can encourage and support one another in maintaining, I guess, some hope and it maintaining an ability to see, to do one's actions in the context of like being there for one another. If a bunch of moms come together and they, they're meeting, you know, once a month to come together to bring their kids in the same space, one, to be supportive of one another, but not just to sit there and say, I mean, if they, if they need to sit there and chat about, I don't know, the latest, the latest cricket match, whatever, it doesn't matter. But if it's just that act of coming together and even having a moment of, oh, you know, I noticed there's a, there's a pothole on the street, on the street that, we're, that's, that we all go to to go to the, the kindy that we drop off our kids at on, during the week. You know, should we should we try and see if we can either organize it ourselves or maybe put up a little warning sign or ask ask council organize something to see if we can get the speed limit adjusted so that people don't, you know, have an accident. Whatever it is that 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 might come up, it might be through through institutions or even through themselves. Like I, we notice that there's um there's not much greenery in the local park and if we can get permission we we, we can plant a herb garden. Or something like that. So it's, it's, this, this, these are these are, I mean, still bigger scale things. But it can be as simple as, hey, you know, 
how about this winter we we just make sure that we check in on everyone because the flu has been really vicious this year just checking in on the elderly in our community seeing if we can pop into the shops for them and then get them some groceries or something or cost of living or like just being even just caring enough about your your community and coming together and doing what we might consider to be small things it's not like we're solving world hunger or solving uh, the housing crisis but caring enough for your community and encouraging each other in conversation and action to do mm -hmm. something yeah yeah something is always better than nothing and i've said before where i think it all starts with you and it radiates outward you know be, yeah, be, being being uh, kind to the people in your neighborhood might through through that butterfly flapping its wings through chaos theory might eventually lead to an end to world hunger you never know how this stuff well, is going to play it, out yeah at, at minimum it means one person if we sincerely care a little bit more about one another that's i guess the first step like the first step is actually caring about one another and no matter like we might have had experiences that that influence us to have developed certain prejudices or whatever but to look for the humanity and to look for the common ground that makes mm. it that's a huge huge i mean that's a huge challenge yeah. and that's why i love the themes of these a lot of these books because whether consciously or not they are echoing these fundamental themes that that exist in in human relationships because at mm -hmm. the end of the day when an author is writing with exception possibly of your your book that you were mentioning earlier that sounds like it's it's shredded uh it's shredding reality uh, in multiple directions um but <laughs> so it, it I, I refer to it now as the the illuminati shredded cabbage that is how it's in refer, reference in my brain but all of them they can't help but examine and make use of either dynamics that they're familiar with like the way that parents interact with their offspring or whether it's sorry so, so th this yeah. is a very pithy way to say it but you know the old adage is write what you know and we all at least have some idea of what it is to be human yes and then it gets interesting because we might not and it brings us back to the beginning of the podcast of today today's, today's episode we might not know like we might not see things from the same perspective as humans all of us we don't that's the whole point but there are certain fundamental interactions that we all experience how we perceive of those interactions and how we experience those interactions and all those things they will differ wildly like yeah. what one person considers to be respectful what another person due to their cultural context and their education and their experiences and their particular life will perceive as respectful will wildly differ um can can i interject you you yeah. talked about um we have these core not values, but we have the kind of, we all know what it's like to be human on a fundamental level. Like, like yes. we all go through the same things. And that's actually, that's actually uh, through my experience in therapy, a large part of therapy is I'm sad or worried or angry about this particular thing in my life. And, and more often than not, the therapist will go, Either, uh, oh, yeah, that affects me too. Or, yeah, I, I see plenty of people who are like that, who, who identify as that, who have that problem, who have that, uh, who that angers them, and this is how they deal with it. Basically, for me so far, a lot of therapy has been cracking, you know, the, the egg of my, um, 
my ego and going, oh yeah, all these things you think just mm. affect you, a lot of people. In fact, the majority of people on this planet deal with that in some form. You are not yeah. as, you are not, a, well, it's, it's, it's a two-pronged thing. You are not as special as you think you are, which I think is an important thing to keep in mind. And you are not alone. Yes. And that's, that's the cool thing about a lot of this is that as to whether everyone has the same degree of, mm -hmm. for example, passion or interest or they, again, they might perceive, as we said before, with the, like with, with the respect thing, those perception may, di may dif will differ and those understandings and interpretations will differ. The extent to which someone's anger will motivate them to act in one way or another way, or it, it finds expression in action in some way, mm. um, is is uh, also going to wildly differ. Um, I'm speaking a little bit with my hands where I'm waving them side to side, but we'll just ignore that. That's okay. Um, this is not a visual medium. Um, <laughs> but the the um, one thing that we c do have consensus on is that people wish to feel. I guess I'm, I'm going to have all the therapists coming after me in a minute. We have consensus on the idea that people wish to feel safe. They wish to feel safe and secure. Everyone wishes to feel loved as to what that might look like to different people will differ again. Yeah. It, that they want to be. Yeah. 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 It, it, yeah. It's the particular Because I was thinking most people want to be happy, but what does that mean to each individual? Yes, and then is is your happiness fun conditional upon your environmental mm -hmm. state, or is your happiness conditional about how you're perceived by others? Yeah, or is your happiness conditional about how you perceive others valuing yeah. you? Like, so it's 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 you want to feel. I mean, ultimately, you want to feel as though. I mean, some of the common themes. I'm going to go to the books because it's easier. When we look at books, often the common themes at least in the books that we've been re referencing a lot of the time, someone wanting to make a difference, someone wanting to have an impact, someone not wanting to be uh, limited, uh, like either they they are limited by the constraints that, they're, that are placed upon them or they have developed to see in themselves or they've been basically instructed and taught to believe or, or and then I... going beyond those limitations to in order to actually discover who they truly can be or some contribute. So, it's you want to, we want to have, we need opportunities, I guess. And these books is about getting opportunities to identify who you are and what you can do. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's very simplified. But, and then specifically the relationships, the dynamics and the, the way that relationships are explored as well in those spaces in, in the novels are fascinating because you end up, ha they have an opportunity to safely explore sometimes some very controversial and difficult topics. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you respond to betrayal? How do you respond to lack of sincerity? How do you respond? How would this character specifically respond? And then it, you get to question, it's like, would I be able to respond like that? Is that how I'd respond? Is this reminding me of a situation I've been in where I felt dismissed or not heard or like so it's it, it, it makes you kind of start that conversation i guess with it has the potential not everyone will for me i know it does i know for you it does where you start a conversation where you're kind of going oh i don't actually know if i would i don't necessarily agree with what this character did but i can see why like it, it, if if the character did something that didn't feel like it was congruent with their particular scenario like with their particular character traits and their particular experiences and whatnot 
we would get annoyed. And then there's like, okay, right, this novel's just lost the plot. Um, I can't. No, no, no it, it, it's, it's when the character does something boneheaded because you know they have not grown enough and you have to suffer. With, you know there's going to be consequences. So you've got to suffer through what the character is going to suffer through before they learn that they got to not do that anymore. <laughs> yes, yes, and, uh, yes. And then there's, there's uh, yes. Be, because luck, yeah. if, if all of you listening and you, Rue, are anything like me, I, I, I am fully guilty of not learning from mistakes I make and continuing to make them over and over again until finally the stubbornness gets ground on me and like, oh, maybe I shouldn't actually be behaving this way or doing this thing. Yeah, no, yes. No, I think it, 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 a lot of us, our, our capacity to learn is, is only really limited by our attachment to the way things the, uh, yeah, yeah. our attachment to the way we want the way things we want them to be mm-hmm. so the, yeah so this idea that that we're limited by how we i mean our our perception of ourself yes energy and all those things as well and 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 there are outright barriers but in terms of if you are doing a thing and you keep doing the thing and you're still getting the same outcome that you were getting when you're doing the thing are you maybe attached to the doing of the thing the way that you're doing it? Or are you so, so you're unwilling to actually reflect and, mm. and take a moment to see, okay, so this action is clearly not having the outcome that I'm, I'm wanting or working towards. What, how am I approaching this? Can I try tweaking it? And, and it, it doesn't mean you have to throw away your approach completely. I mean, in, in the novels, um, again, many of them, they will, it's about adjusting your sail just a little bit sometimes. Yeah, and and um, sometimes it's actually personified with a character being in their head or something. But a lot of them also, it's the acceptance of the dark or parts of you that you don't like. You bring them yeah. on board, you integrate, and then you become whole, you heal. Yes, it's, it's like acknowledging I have frailties, I can't be perfect, it's okay not to be perfect. But at the same time, I also have talents. I also have abilities. I also can contribute. And one of your greatest strengths this is always the whole, you know, the trope of the real power is the friendship that we made <laughs> along the way. And, but yeah, but it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a trope for a reason. It's because if you have healthy, supportive, mutually supportive, so not just one-sided, but mutually supportive dynamics in your relationships, like you do, it, it puts wind in your sails, man. Like yeah. It's like it, it's how you, you get a, an ability to actually perceive of yourself in a different way, but also to potentially keep yourself humble in the sense where, it, where you can develop this, this really, there's a beautiful skill that exists, which is, or uh, is it a skill or a talent or an aptitude or a quality? I don't know. It's a something. If you can see the joy that someone else experiences and feel joy at their joy. Mm. That, for example, is a huge relationship booster. And yeah. again, when I'm saying relationship, I mean any relationship. Be this the person who is the cashier in the local grocery place that you visit. If, they, if you see them, for example, I don't know, wearing uh, Christmas earrings and it's, it's a choice and they're allowed to, and that brings them joy. And you can see that they're joyous about it. They're happy about it. Feeling joy for that person that they get to do something that they enjoy. 
Yeah. That's great. You, that's like you, that's you, seeing the humanity in one another, really. You don't want to be the person that sees someone laughing and instantly gets angry that people are having fun. Yeah, it's <laughs> because you're not having fun, or the world is hard. No one should have fun. Yeah, it's like oh gosh, no, that's that's another thing. I think yeah, I'm I'm hoping that our listeners will kind of. I have I have faith in our listeners. I believe it. They're good guys. people. They listen to I us. Believe- <laughs> no, that's not why I think you're good people. I think you're good people because if you can endure our um, uh, <laughs> our, our meandering uh, ways and not yeah. get frustrated, fantastic. <laughs> like- so, so actually, before we ran this out today, I did want to ask you, and, and I'll go first because mine's a bit of a cop-out answer, but I, after you go, Rue, I can come back with a real answer. I want to ask if you had a favorite book you read this year. Now, I actually have one. But sadly, I cannot tell Rue or listeners what it is because it is a classic and I reread it to see if it would be suitable for a future season of the podcast. And yes, I enjoyed it so much that, yes, it's going on the list. So Rue will find out like, you know, when we're in the middle of a season I'm like, that she's reading, and I'm like, okay, the next book I want to do is this one. It's this book that I talked about years ago. And she'll go, oh, that's the one. Oh, no. But no, it's, I, I think it'll be an interesting one. It's but another they, dystopian novel, isn't it? In a way, aren't they all dystopian? Oh, no. <laughs> um, but but no, no, it was one of those where, you know, I, I rate all books after I read them just to kind of keep a personal tally of what I thought of these novels. And it also helps me now when we do these book chats, I can look at the star ratings, go, do I want to talk about that one? Do I want to talk about that one? This was an instant five stars. I've, I've read the book That's before, good. but it was just like rereading it now and thinking about the type of discussion it could generate. I was like, oh, yeah, th- this is a winner. And I just think it's a great novel. Excellent. So, and so, on, that, so that's good. on that cliffhanger, do you have anything that comes to mind that you haven't mentioned that may be your favorite read this year? Oh, gosh. I did. I'm trying to think. I'm going to focus on fiction because nonfiction, mm-hmm. I've got a few that have been really, like there's specific course materials. There's one that's actually really interesting, but I can't remember. The, I always get the title muddled. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to leave it for that one. Oh, gosh. I will say again, The House Witch has been pretty good. Like, it was a really nicely done novel. But, mm. uh, and, and I have already mentioned it, so that's, that's you know, not that helpful. There was one that was, where are you? Gosh. Ah, actually, there was a book by Stephen Fry. Oh, you know, I don't think I've read anything by him. Yeah. Oh, actually, there's two books. Um, okay, fine. So Stephen Fry, I actually listened to the audiobook because it was uh, it mm-hmm. was one of those uh, because he reads his own audiobook, so that was quite pleasant. And that was I. It was I believe the book uh, is Mythos or Mythos: The Greek Myths Retold. Oh, I've, um, I've seen him talk yeah. about that on Graham Norton clips. It's rather it was it's it's rather like it's clever. It's got a humor to it, which I really enjoyed, and it it went through all these. Like it goes through these really, uh, it's clever. It's very mm. clever and very pleasant to, to like, I mean, it's always pleasant to hear Stephen Price's voice. It's got mm. a great voice, but it's got a good, it, it's really nicely re- retelling him. So it's nicely retold, rephrased, I think. 
like this is this is not your Percy Jackson kind of retelling, which I also enjoy. I will say the Percy Jackson kind of series. Rick Riordan is has I, I do enjoy how he has managed to take these myths and really infuse them with re- potency and relevancy for a current generation. Oh, cool. So I do recommend the the actual books by the, okay. the author. Also, he's more more importantly has been highlighting also other authors of the background from which these myths have emerged, mm. i.e. Egyptian, i.e. So, so th- th- this it's great. There's some great things. But so that one's a, that one's definitely one of the top. And then the other one that was really quite let me find it. So I there's a book written now. This is written by a friend of mine that I've grown up with. Okay. And this is her, I mean, this is, it's semi-autobiographical. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And I straight up will preface with that. It's not going to be a read for everyone. For me, it was interesting because I knew some parts of, like, I know, again, I know her. I know her Mm. family. I know the people that she's referencing. I know these people. Are you in it, Ruth? No, God, no, no. This is more immediate family and, and. The immediate families, and it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the blurb is probably, but it, it's done very well this year in terms of books. It does reference a little bit about aspects of, like, kind of in, in, in passing. This is someone whose journey has basically, his journey has taken them away from faith. So someone I know through also my faith, but mm. who has, whose particular journey just is one that's, that's taken away from that. And that's fine. There's one scene that some people do not like, one chapter, but the rest, fine. Could you, it uh, has, yeah. Could, it's you one give us a, could you give yeah. us a title? Sorry. Well, the book's called The God of No Good by okay. Sita Walker. And it is quite, I guess I don't know what the context would be for someone who's reading this who doesn't know the family. Okay. I, I've seen a lot of good reviews about it. Don't you, get me you wrong. You just basically, because of your connection, that's the book highly resonated with you this year. Well, it resonated with me and also there was an aspect to it where I could see that there was like the the depth of the the love and the connections. I guess I'm lucky because I could actually also say, okay, yeah, I know I I know these this family. So I I've, I've seen what the dynamics of the relationships hmm. can like were in 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 hashtag #the real world. So I've I've seen it. This is a drama is slightly dramatized for mm. n- novel effect, so for f- effectiveness, and it's uh, let me see. I'm trying to see if there's a. It's it's not a, so. It's interesting because it's like it's the blurb is a, this is not a book about divorce. It's not a book about God. You might think it's a book about goodness and what it means to be a good person, but it isn't. It's it's a book about love, and then this idea that she was raised by five strong matriarchs who taught her to believe in God and to be good. And her grandmother, mother, and three aunts believed in their unshakable faith. I'm not mentioning it. You can read it yourself. In the power of prayer and sacrifice in magic, in the healing of turmeric and tea, in the wisdom of dreams. As hard as she tries to be good, Sita always suspects that deep down she isn't very good at all. And then at 35, she hasn't prayed in years. Her dream of true love has died, and along with it, her faith. Not that she's telling her mother or her aunts. Now, the only way she can fulfill her destiny is to seek out the wisdom of the ones who came before and truly understand the women who raised her. But will they ever understand her? So either way, the Mm. matriarchy will never be the same again. And the time does go back and forth. So Mm. for those of us who got through Catch-22, this is going to be a breeze. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to tell you it's a breeze for anyone who's used to that kind of the, the timing. And at least it tells you at the beginning of the chapter, 
when and mm. usually when and where. So you 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 got thing, but it goes from like Iran to India, Sri Lanka, Czech Republic, Adelaide, Torres Strait, all over the place. And it's really there's some moments of really beautiful. Yeah, occasionally you're going to have some prose. Yeah, she's an English teacher. It's what they do. That's <laughs> what they do. But there's also some moments where it's just really profound that, like, even a conversation with her dad, that that there's this fear always, right, of, of uh, I'm going to disappoint my parents, all this. But then she says mm. that she, these conversations where you just have this very sweet, constant love and acceptance and appreciate, like, just caring for one another. Hmm. And that's just very, and and yeah, there's moments where it could be, it can be actually very uncomfortable. There's at least two se- sections that were a little uncomfortable for me to read, only because again, I know her, hmm. and I know the family, and I know the people involved. But then I step away and I go, but hold up, at the end of the day, this is about the human connection. This is about the dynamics of of relationships and being there for one another. And as she put it. This is not about divorce. This is not about. It's actually about love, hmm. and and I think that's a beautiful way to. So yeah, that's why I, I really enjoyed that. And for me, it's funny because you know in this book it's about someone who's stepping away from the faith. But for me, it was actually affirming, hmm. not because oh see what they went through. No, it was because it was affirming because I can say okay, well you can see for me it confirmed that the source of their love was I guess for them for the dynamics of their family etc was bolstered and strengthened by that and that was the that's the whole point of having a faith is to actually allow that to in my perception again without going to like my my understanding of it is like that's the whole point Hmm. the whole point is if it's there to enhance your ability to be to express love for one another Hmm. and then you've got it like that's that's what it makes sense to me like so that that worked for me but i said it might not be everyone's cup of tea well, you, you, um, you did a good job of selling it, I think. It sounds quite interesting. It's it's quite interesting. There are moments where you're like, ah, and then it comes back out of it. And then you're like, okay, no, I get it. I get it. And there's some really great humor. Oh, good. <laughs> some fantastic moments, like really barb. I've always known her to have a really wicked kind of sense of humor. And I, it, you can see it. Her Her dad also has a very dry, kind of very dry, dry humor. And she's got her dad's kind of influenced humor for sure. That's great. Okay. Well, uh, let me just find myself a a true best read of the year, uh, since <laughs> since I kind so, of since you cannot reveal your actual best read of the year, that will remain a closeted mystery until the season in which it will be revealed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I this year I've really started to think about uh, future books I can cover because, as I've said many times. I started this podcast idea with five books I wanted to cover. Cat's Cradle oh. is the fourth. So after Rue reads the next season after Cat's Cradle, I will be reading my fifth and final book. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, damn, I only have like a year or two to uh, find new books to read on the podcast. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because also I've had, I have a situation of like, I've had to do things a little bit more flexible. Like I had a mm-hmm. very broad range of lists but then as we get closer to it i would always review and go well hold up this book actually this one's too thick this one's too long like (laughs) i I wanted to do the count of monte cristo and then remembered hold up let's look at the length of it no that is that is way too long so nope but i do tend to pick the shorter books yeah it's it's uh well i i think it's a good break as well Mm. 
I mean, maybe one of these days we can tackle a larger one. Uh, speaking of the Count of Monte Cristo, that was one of the better books I read this year. It was my first time reading it. It is absolutely phenomenal. I've gushed about it all year in the book chat and I think in episodes of Cat's Cradle as well. Um, yeah. If you have not read it, I highly recommend it. I think uh, yeah. the English translation is modern enough that you are not going to have difficulties with the language. Mm. The characters are complex. That That's a good way to put it, isn't it, Ruth? Understatement. Understatement. <laughs> yeah. Um, it really shows how you can lose your way because of suffering and yes. what can pull you out of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm... Ooh. Ooh, I have to make choices here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just... Okay. Well, the best fiction book that isn't the secret book was The Count of Monte Cristo for me. That was the best fiction book. Mm. With with an honorable mention to the second book in the Red Rising series, Golden Sun. Um, mm -hmm. I read the first three books. I stopped after book three because it wasn't as good as the first two and it felt like it ended the series. I know there are more books in the series now, but I don't know if I want to continue with that. So mm. yeah, we'll say Count of Monte Cristo for fiction. And then I have two books uh, for nonfiction. One of them I'll just briefly mention because I think whether or not you like this person will influence whether or not you actually like this book. But um, Quentin Tarantino wrote a book called Cinema Speculation. It's mm -hmm. about uh, all, the, all the movies he loved from the 1970s when he was young and going to the cinema all the time. And mm -hmm. because if you've ever listened to him speak, you know he's very passionate about cinema. So to read his passion and why he likes these, a lot of them are like fundamental cinema from the 70s, you know, like Taxi Driver and Deliverance and movies like that. And to, to hear why he thinks they're so great, I found it a, a very entertaining read. Um, also, it's a bit autobiographical, so you get a bit more of his childhood and upbringing and maybe a window into why he is the way he is. <laughs> But then uh, the best book I read this year, nonfiction, is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I had, mm -hmm. I had read it in my early to mid-20s and completely bounced off it. I don't think I was old or wise enough yet, or I was just too stubborn. I don't need the advice of this book. Bah! But um, rereading it this year, it's just opened up. It's such a beautiful book if you are a creative person, if you struggle to create. It, mm -hmm. It's... It basically is about the war you have to have every day with what he calls resistance, which is that voice that goes, eh, do it tomorrow. Or, hey, why don't we go for a walk? Or why don't we go get a, get a muffin from the cafe? Or, hey, why don't we look what's on Wikipedia? <laughs> you know, all, all those voices that stop you doing the thing that you were put on this earth to do, which if you are a creative person, you know, you have that drive and you have that talent in you that he, he gets a little bit spiritual, you know, talks about connections to either God or the muses or uh, the creative field, you might want to call it. But mm. it, it's basically how every day we have this struggle and, and the, the book is really good in um, articulating that struggle and then also giving you advice on how to win the war every day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of, because uh, I read it way back when as well. Mm. I've got to reread it, actually. Re no, I, it. I, I highly recommend it, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Time has given me a lot more uh, perspective on these yeah. these things. 
So I've always liked to think of it as um, the concept of inertia, the idea that for you to build momentum mm -hmm. and then it, and then maintain yeah. uh, momentum is that's where the effort lies. And then you will have moments where you have, you know, counter counteracting forces, be this a the difficulty of starting. That would be our inertia. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the one which, which is like things like, oh, gosh, what was that word? Uh, Distraction. No, the thing when the, the not friction. I mean, it could just be friction, but it's like the idea that you, if you have to w work against a current, or you have to, you have uh, right. to counter that kind of countervailing, countermanding uh, well, force or countervailing force. He, in, in he, a sense. he calls it resistance. Is that a good word? I for mean, it? yeah, resistance is about right. I mean, from an, from if we were talking about electrical, yes. Um, so yeah, resistance or or um, just that 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 kind of something that that can act as a barrier or or a distraction or whatever mm -hmm. it, s setting you off off course though let, let, let me check my email for the tenth time today <laughs> though I would say that there's one thing that that helps that I like I felt he kind of touches on it but he I don't know if he I didn't feel this is like my very dim recollection of mm -hmm. a book I read a long long time ago but this idea of like re like checking in with yourself and reevaluating your direction, like he would refer to that, I guess, as connecting to the muses or the creative force, so to speak. But even having that process of reflecting on who, like doing the oh. thing, and then reflecting and reconnecting with who it is, like what what it is you're trying to direction you're trying to go. And, and that that's why he at least um, it's something I've tried to put into practice actually because it's a really good piece of advice. It's just I have difficulty keeping it up. But after he works every day, he goes on a walk for at least 20 minutes because that mm. gives him the time to reflect and come down. But also, it, it's, it's that weird thing where a lot of the creative problems he's having, he finds solutions on the walk. It's like yeah. how sometimes th this was true when I was a cartoonist. My best ideas would come in the shower. Something where yeah. you're, you're not struggling you're kind of relaxing, you're in a different scenario, uh, you're doing something else and you're allowing your subconscious to work on the problem and yeah. suddenly, boom, you've got something. Yeah. And and that's the thing, like that's that, that whole concept of, and th these are concepts that you can translate across into other fields. Mm -hmm. And I think I might've mentioned somewhere at some stage, this, this idea of having a framework of, of, yeah, I mentioned framework earlier on, maybe not today, but anyway. But um, this idea of having a framework where you, you engage in action, you engage in reflection over what's happened, you, you might decide then to consult or to study or to expand on your understanding by sitting and collaborating with others and kind of getting different perspectives, okay? And then you have to put it into action again. You make it kind of a temporary, you make a decision for that next step and then you do it. And then again, you start the cycle again. So it's like it keeps going and, and there's no way of having progress it's back to what what we're saying. If you keep doing the same thing the same way again and again and again, you're not giving yourself a chance to to actually sit and reflect and kind of go, okay, hold up, is this actually aligned with what I'm trying to do? Is this what I want to be doing? Mm. Is this the direction? Is this how is this supporting the thing that I'm trying to get done? And then when I'm saying trying to get done, I'm not meaning in a sense of getting being seen as productive by an external party. Mm. Mm. Yes, in a workplace that might be of relevance, but in terms of you as a human being working towards the, your overarching goal, mm. 
and purpose. And then the steps, those actions that, that are working, helping you get there. Also allowing those to develop and say, oh, have I, am I the same person who thought a certain sense of a certain kind of joke was funny? Or am I, have I moved past that now? Or, you know, am I the kind of person who would use something as a, a plot, this kind of idea as a plot device? Or would I now no longer do that because I'm not comfortable with how it depicts certain demographics? Mm-hmm. So like you, you learn to, you almost whilst you're doing the thing and you're reflecting and you're collaborating and learning and studying and all that, you get to know yourself even better and you get to also refine yourself mm. to be closer to the person you're wanting to be. Mm. This is so weird. Our, our podcast discussions often slip down into this path. And, and because both you and I have that kind of, no matter if it, even it's a book about, as said, this lady who's a pest control person in the post-apocalyptic magic, magical post-apocalyptic world that's dealing with a dragon that has some ingested a, a, an elven, or I don't even remember what it was, something that the fae people want, whatever. It's like all these things. I, I just it doesn't a- matter what it is. there's a relevance yeah i just had the terrible thought if fire breathing dragons get food poisoning you think they shoot fire out of their butt bring it from a high note to a low note um i'm I'm trying to think like uh i mean you wouldn't want either no no you wouldn't you wouldn't want either way of food poisoning or indigestion for uh, i mean even a dragon burping would be awkward um this is one reason I love Rue is uh, she's taking this joke I made seriously and going through the mechanics of it in her head. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, it, 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 maybe it would depend on what, what has caused the, the indigestion and the digestive problem to begin with. Like if, if, and also what kind of dragon is it? Is it a dragon that requires to, it re- requires to consume some sort of fuel in order for them to be able you, to you know, create I, I just realized this joke is also based on something Pratchett has done. Uh, he has swamp dragons. They blow up all the time. And, oh, gosh. And, and to get them to settle down, sometimes like uh, Sybil Rampkin, who, ha- who owns the home for swamp dragons, since uh, people don't want them as pets because they explode all the time, uh, enough, she yes. gives them like charcoal biscuits to settle their stomach. That's so funny. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like We, ne- we never think about we're, we're quite willing to invent or create these poor mythical creatures, but do we consider their well-being? No, never. We're so selfish as, as as in our in our fantasy. Although the Valkyrie bestiary does actually care about them, and there's well, a few others. And, and 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 often I think it's you know thematically what they were designed for. Because I'm sure there are dragons before King Arthur, but what I'm thinking of like Lancelot and all that, the dragon is like a mythical creature to be bested to prove you're a hero. Yeah, so it's interesting. So even when we talk about dragons, hmm. Anyway, so there's, 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 there's food for thought. Yeah. Um, we, uh, and we probably a, a really good way to end the podcast, actually. Uh, yes, it is. It is. So I, like, I, using I, mythical creatures as metaphor for individual and collective <laughs> struggles. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, some times my... Actually, my favorite form of horror movie over the last decade or two has been the one where a valid reading of the movie could either be, yes, there was a supernatural element or... Actually, it was a metaphor for their psychosis, and it was all in their minds. Oh man, that's that's a whole nother, whole nother thing. Oh, oh dear. So, so um, uh, yes. uh, well, I I hope you all enjoyed all this. We're really excited that we have a new season of so many books, so little time for you. Yes. Pretty close coming after this episode of the book chat comes out. Uh, we hope you all enjoy Cat's Cradle. 
We had a, a lot of fun recording it. Really good discussion on all kinds of topics. A lot of them a little heavier than usual, I think. Although yeah. considering considering we've covered 1984, Brave New World, and Catch 22, all my picks. Why do I do this? Uh, <laughs> But even actually, A Wrinkle in Time had some heavy stuff too in it. But, um, you know, considering those books, it's weird to think a book as funny as Cat's Cradle uh, might have our most serious discussions. Yeah, wouldn't you say, Rue? There were moments that were really, really humorous. Mm. I mean, not Anne of Green Gables level (laughs) of of wholesome humorousness, Mm. but there there was some moments of almost like this, I guess it was almost like a cynical kind of a cynical kind of humor that you could kind of go, oh gosh, why? Especially when it came, why is it with the main characters that we end up in, in dystopian novels? Has anyone else noticed this? Dystopian novels, often the main character, you want to occasionally just reach into the book and shake them because they're doing something just so profoundly you're creating, you're adding to this problem, man. Like, hey, what hey. are you doing? It's not just dystopian novels. That's true. How how many times have you read Hamlet and wanted to just grab him by the shoulders and just gone? Arguably, Hamlet had its own dystopian little twist. I mean, the Danish court was doomed. The the um, the, the, Nor- the Norwegians were coming. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm thinking about uh, what was that? The, oh no. Now I'm thinking. When, I'm thinking both. Uh, uh, sorry, when you say the Norwegians are coming, I always think of either Paul Revere. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, or, that would have um, that would have been a very different revolutionary war. Yes, or I think of of Game of Thrones. Just the line that keeps like, the winter is coming. Um, so Norwegians are coming. <laughs> well, I mean that works. Winter Norwegians, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, so uh, on, on that cheerful note, we hope you're all enjoying your holiday season. This podcast should be out around the holiday time still, depending on how quickly I edit it. We hope you're all having fun, enjoying your reading, and we'll we'll see you all for Cat's Cradle in the New Year. Happy 2024, everyone! And Please, you know, enjoy yourselves as much as you can and and, and hopefully you all remain um, safe during these challenging times.